0: And when they're distributed, you can start making money from your podcast right away. No minimum listen- listenership. Start getting that anchor money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one spot. So, what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm right now to get started. Now, the Schooner Pod. Hello, and welcome to the Schooner Pod. I'm your host, Bobby Howard. With me, we got Jameson, and in the big old cowboy hat, we got Ty. And we're here to break down the 2021 Big 12. Maybe the last year of the Big 12, we don't know. But uh, this is a pod we've been doing every single year. (laughs) For those listening at home, Ty just slapped an SEC logo on his hat, which is incredible. A very crudely made post-it note one. The best version of an SEC logo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the official one. <laughs> exactly. It just means more when it's posted. Um, but we're here to break down the Big 12. We're going to rank them, you know, one through 10 or 10 through one. We're going to go backwards because, you know, it's kind of more fun to talk like that. But um, yeah, this is going to be a good one. Um, I feel like these are always, uh, you know, kind of a fun pod. And, you know, firing this one up, you know, the season's right here. So uh, let's just get right on it. We got number ten, and uh, gentlemen, I think we we all are in consensus of number ten, <laughs> Jamison or uh, Jamison. Who do you got at ten?
1: Yeah, over under win of one for Kansas, and I was looking more into all of the teams uh, today, and they've got a North Texas transfer coming in at quarterback, and his last name is Bean. And I'm just going to love Bean getting back there, and he's going to have no time to throw the ball. He's going to be running all over the field, but he's a runner. Um, he had 6.2 yards per carries with uh, five rushing touchdowns, um, but their best receiver transferred to Florida State. So it's only going to get worse, especially with you no know, Puka in Kansas.
0: Yeah, the one thing that kept Kansas decently de- uh, all right was Puka. He's gone. Um, Lance Leopold, I think is an upgrade coach wise. Uh, he's done great things at Buffalo. Every single uh, place he's been has, you know, he's turned programs around and made something out of each spot, but, um, no, this is going to be painful. This is going to be a tough year for Kansas. Uh, you're, you're starting from nothing and, uh, Leopold, you know, I, I do think he gets that one win, uh, week one against South Dakota, not a good team, but, um. Yeah, Kansas is going to be hard pressed to find any wins beyond that, and they finished tenth in the Big Twelve this year, uh, as is tradition. Uh, Ty, who do you got on ten? Uh, Kansas. Yeah, so
2: Kansas is the reasonable one, but I'm going to go Baylor. I I really think, I really. So I, it's like, here's it's it's not a reasonable pick. I understand, but at Kansas with a new coach coming in, one that's known for turnarounds, they're at least on sort of the upward trend, right? They've hit they've hit rock bottom. They're just going to keep it grinding there or they're going to improve. Baylor, I think, is still on that downward trend. So um, <clears throat> kind of spoiler alert. I guess it ties us into to nine a little bit well, but very low probability. I probably wouldn't put my own money on it, but got to have something different. I think Kansas might pull out some Jayhawk magic. Uh, and and make their Big Ten sales pitch as they depart at number nine of the Big 12 this year.
0: Just have, like, Kansas and Baylor both be awful and KU gets that win. Well,
2: yeah, so my uh, theory was kind of just both of them are just atrocious in the Big 12, and then Kansas just happens to eke one out against them or something.
0: So I'm guessing you have – okay, so you have Baylor at 10. I guess you have you, do you have Kansas at nine as well?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, and okay. that's – you know, it's a kind of a spoiler. But, yeah, I'll – I'm thinking Baylor when it rains, it pours on the downward trend. I think they're going to keep going down because I think Baylor opens up. I know it's not a big 12 thing, but I can see Baylor taking a a terrible win for Baylor's morale against Texas state, which is their opener. Um, And then Texas Southern who knows, but then they roll right into Kansas. So it's just right away. So I could see Kansas having some sort of, like momentum because they know that this is like their one shot before things plummet for them. So
1: yeah, Kansas could have a winning record if they go on and beat Baylor, they have them at home. Like that is their shot. And yeah. if they lose to Baylor that first week, there's, uh, there's really no yeah. journey to getting that second win. So it's, they're going to know their fate extremely early and it's, especially if they lose to South Dakota.
0: Yeah. They're going to have to do that one right out the gate. Um, but I, but here's the thing, Ty. I don't think you're too well, far off with your number ten because my number nine is also is it's Baylor. Uh, I'm completely out on Dave Aranda as a head coach. Uh, he he just screams coordinator to me. I I know the defense is going to be fine, but you know no Charlie Brewer. Um, the, the 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 degree of fall off that Baylor had um, losing you know Matt Rule and everything was just so so stark mm-hmm. to me, and I I think. I think the Bears are worse than people think. Uh, If you look at the um, Big 12 media poll, uh, they have Baylor's at eight. But I I feel like, you know, you see some situations where they've snuck up to even seven. Uh, I think the Bears are going to be not great this year. This is – Baylor will be back to the – the 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 dregs of college football. That's my prediction.
1: Yeah, and and the thing is, with them being at eight, I feel like it's a little weird comparative to a Texas Tech. But we'll talk a little that later. But the skill positions, there's just not too many like guys that you recognize that have popped in the past year that you'll recognize their name. At wide receiver, Tyquan Thornton and R.J. Sneed, they're good. But you know, their quarterback, we don't even know who's quarterback. You know, Jacob Zeno was a guy that showed some good looks last year. And I know um, Boat and Blake was interested in Zeno, but Jerry Bohannon looks like a guy who might be the starting um, quarterback. And can they get the ball to their wide receivers? It's, you know, like you said, you know, they're going to have a decent defense, but I don't trust their offense at all.
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I I think that offensively it's just too much of a question mark. Uh, who, do, who do they have as their offensive coordinator? Is it um, – I know for a while they had uh, Larry – Larry Fedora, of OSU fame, I, I think they they got rid of him, but um, I I don't know. Baylor is, I I just they feel like they're grimes. in a bad place here. Okay, good luck to you then, Baylor. But uh, they're they're my number nine. Um, Jameson, who do you have at your number nine?
1: Yeah, that's who, that's who I had at number nine. Baylor. I pretty much yeah I, I put my point there. I think we're all um you know in accordance there, even though the Big Twelve preseason polls don't think so. Um, But those are media voted, and, you know, how many media are keeping up with all of the overturn of all these teams? You know, going into number eight, why I put Texas Tech above Baylor at eight is because – they just have more guys, you know, returning that are interesting at in the skill positions on offense. You know, Sir Roderick Thompson was a guy who ran all over us and ran a lot through the Big 12, and he's returning. And they just got Tyler Shaw from Oregon, the transfer at quarterback, after the iron lung Alan Bowman, left to go to Michigan. I don't <laughs> know what's <laughs> going on there. Like the iron lung wants to go to Michigan. So be there's just jokes to be had there. But, you know, they have a guy that in Oregon that led them, you know, to the Pac-12 championship. So, like, he's got winning experience, and they got, you remember, um, the guy we used to call eczema at the wide receiver, <laughs> oh, yeah. or whatever, he's back. So, like, compared to Baylor on offensive side, I just in an
0: offensive league, I just don't see how it's even close. And my thing is, I, I actually really like Texas Tech, they're not in my eight spot, I have West Virginia. Um, but the Red Raiders, I feel like, have a sneaky good defense, honestly, all things considered. I know you see that brand. You see the double T. You, you think about the Mike Leach era and everything. But, you know, that defense has gotten better. Um, I I think their ceiling is about seven. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with it. Um, so, yeah, no, I my eight my is West Virginia, and we'll talk about them uh We'll talk a little bit more about them, depending on where Ty has uh, Ty. Who do you have at eight? I gotta go up my list. Okay, so
2: <clears throat> yeah, at eight, um, I I really don't know why. Now that we started talking about it, at eight, I had Tech, um, and I I was aware of their Oregon quarterback coming in, and uh, I think that that's really good for them because I, I it, this. They're fairly similar systems, at least traditionally, and what Tech always tries to do, and sort of Oregon in terms of like the style of the team, if that makes sense. Um, so I can see him being a, a good fit, like you guys talked about. I just don't—I'm not really high on on, uh, on Tech this year, and um, I'm not entirely sure. Looking back, when I was doing you know reading, I guess when we start talking about West Virginia, maybe something will click for me and I'll remember why. But yeah.
0: At eight, I've got uh, I've got Texas Tech. Fair enough, because I, I think really it's a flip flop between seven and eight for West Virginia and Texas Tech. They're, I feel like they're very similar teams in similar places, where you know both high-powered, incredible offenses that lost their head coach and then they decided to convert to more of a tough-nosed defensive system. They have both been going through like these transitional periods where they're trying to change their offense a bit. Um, and frankly, I just haven't liked either of their offenses so far. Uh, I, I'm not big on Neil Brown at West Virginia. Uh, I know a lot of people are pretty big on West Virginia, having them closer to six than seven. Uh, so maybe this is a bit of um, a sour take, a little bit out there for me. But I, I just – I think West Virginia just doesn't I, – I, I do not see them having a good year this year. I, I, a little bit sour on them. I, I'm not big on Dagie as a quarterback and – I I again I I think the Neil Brown move was a little bit too sharp for West Virginia. I think it's gonna take a little more time than people think for them to get up and running.
1: Yeah, and my, my part was moving forward with West Virginia at seven. Um, I know that you had them at eight. Me at seven, it's like the West Virginia culture on defense. Is kind of what I'm moving towards there. Texas Tech has these skill players, and we always say it every year. Like the years, years that we thought Alan Bowman could actually go out and throw some balls. You know, he's a, he had TJ Vasher going to throw it to TJ Vasher, and it just it never really just pans out. Um, but West Virginia always just has this scrappy defense, while Texas Tech never really has that, too much of a scrappy defense. That that's why I lean back on at least they have a running game in West Virginia. Letty Brown's back. You know, he was a 1,000 yard rusher last year. Um, and even though they lost, you know Darius Stills on the defensive line, West Virginia. They've got the little brother and Dante still there, so
0: they they still got a good core on the defensive end. So, but yeah, definitely a toss up. And I think partially for me, it's it, it's because we didn't see West Virginia last year. At least OU never played them uh, due to COVID. That game was uh, rescheduled twice and then canceled. I so, yeah, I I totally did too. I was like, man, why why don't I remember anything about West Virginia last year? well, there you go. It's because we, we didn't play them. Um, so that's probably slightly biased in my mind, but um, yeah, uh, I have them there. Um, Ty, you got West Virginia at seven. Yeah.
2: So, and, and if I can, can talk about it for, for just a second. Absolutely. So, actually Jamison, when he started talking about it, then I pulled up the rest of my notes here hidden for you guys to not steal my takes, but uh, West Virginia, even once they had their coaching turnover, um, they had always been sort of a, a scrappy team. They'd never been really that successful in the Big 12. Um, I think we all know that. I'm not trying to you know talk down on them. That's just a realistic evaluation of their performance. But they've always seemed scrappy in the sense that they've never not cared because there's always been, especially with West Virginia and OU, there's always been heated arguments, some some shoving, and some extracurriculars have always occurred you see the same thing when they play Texas and, and some other teams. And I thought, you know, maybe it could be a, a coaching culture thing, but it's, it's a lot of the same players and that's kind of carried over. So I think that that scrappiness, when I think about West Virginia, and like you said, Bobby, it might be a recency bias thing, having not seen their performance last year. Um, because I don't think I watched any of their, other, I probably watched West Virginia, Texas, but um they've always had a sort of a a scrappier, you know, they want to be good culture. And I think that's really, we're starting to get into another tier of, of the big 12 here. It's still not very good, but the uh, tech KU Baylor are, you know, one of them might surprise us, but West Virginia, they're not good, but they care. And I think that that's going to bump them up a little bit in my book. So that's my seven.
0: Yeah, definitely. They're, they're in that weird middle ground uh, that, won't really impress you, but like you said, they're 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 a gritty team. They're they're a hard, tough nose team. I just I don't see them making a ton of noise this year. Uh, moving on, number six. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I had a tough one. I had a tough time putting them here. Uh, Kansas State. Uh, I really think this is a team that I would circle in, in terms of like I think they can make a rise. I think they could be higher than six, but due to just some reasons. I, I just don't think I can put them higher than uh, the other five teams on this. Um, I, I think they, they were beat up a lot in 2020, you know, having Skylar Thompson out was an absolute season killer for them. Uh, but in general, Chris climate and that team, you know, they're, they're, they're scrappy. They're good. Oh, you saw it, you know, firsthand, but uh, they just got flat out out talented in some games last year, uh, getting blown out against Texas, blown out against Iowa state. Um, I, I think, yeah, the injuries were a thing, and I do think they improve, but, but just too many red flags for me to think that they can string together enough runs to really break into the uh, top half of the Big 12. But if they do, if they keep Skylar Thompson healthy, if they keep, keep Deuce Vaughn healthy, then, you know, hey, this could be a weird K-State year. But um, I think it's just probably safe to keep them at six. Uh, Jameson, who do you got at six? Yeah, K-State. It's just...
1: Skylar Thompson is twenty four years old. Twenty four. That is just so weird, just to say out loud. So you know, at least they has ex- he has experience of. What's being, wrong with
2: that? You know, there's nothing <laughs> wrong
1: with being twenty four. I'm just saying, in college, you know, we're getting away from us here. But yeah, he has experience. What's wrong of being, being
2: twenty four and in college?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem. I got school for a lot longer too, buddy. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I mean, I think that I just it sets them up for a mediocre year. They're better than the the teams that have a lot of question marks because they don't have as many question marks. They have a solidified one of the better young running backs in the country last year in Deuce Vaughn, who's just an extreme, you know, force out of the backfield and catching the ball in five five. So I just think they're just middle ground. They're going to win some games that they shouldn't, and they're going to lose some games that they shouldn't.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. I think that's a standard par for the course, Kansas State year for sure. Uh, Ty, you got K State at six. Who do you got? Yeah,
2: so at six, I have Kansas State. I know it sounds bad because they're bottom half, but um, you know, I, I at this point I, I kinda hate that we're all three agreeing here. I maybe would have swapped them and put them in the top five. But I think that they are a consistent team, they're a solid team, they're well coached. They're just talent wise, they're they're good. They're not, you know, top twenty-five college football. They're not you know, there's that big – because the sport is so large, there's that big separation of, of talent there. But they're a all-around solid team, and I think I agree with you, Bobby, in that I would not be surprised if they made a fairly impressive run or even had – and I think as, as an OU fans, we have to, you know, acknowledge this and give them respect. They they have the upset potential any week, for sure, of, of anyone. Um, and you got to respect that, but I, I think that six is a, a safe – bet for kansas state which is going to sound funny because my five is just you never know with them but yeah k-state, and K-State for me
0: and, and k-state as a whole has an interesting schedule their their uh, non-conference is relatively spicy they open up with a um, neutral site game at jerry world for some reason against stanford yeah. uh, and then uh play nevada yeah. who is going to be a very good mountain west team uh, that I, I believe Blake uh, picked them as his Mountain West champion. So, sneaky tough schedule for Kansas State. Um, and, and likely what will happen is they'll stink it up in the non-conference and then start, you know, assassinating, like, uh, ranked teams in the Big 12 and screw the uh, strength of schedule. I can see them easily
1: beating Oklahoma State, just taking them down, even if they're at Oklahoma
0: State this year. It It is the first game right after non-conference in yeah. Stillwater. Or no, it's it. no, it's it's not in Stillwater. It's actually yeah, no, that's um, no, it is in Stillwater. I'm I'm wrong. I'm reading that wrong. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that I could see that K State's done it before. Um, but uh, let's move on. Number five, I got Oklahoma State. Uh, I honestly had them at six until this morning. Had a change of heart. Uh, I I I feel like after last year's hype and let down that this year. Uh, I, I don't see them doing great, but at, at the same time, I feel like that talent, um, that, that, the, the talent level of like Spencer Sanders and, uh, LD Brown, is just a little bit higher. I feel like they're just a little bit more, a little bit better than K state. Um, that have a decent defense, but they just really don't return a lot of offensive starters due to, you know, Tyland Wallace and Chuba Hubbard, not returning, but Chuba like played half of the year anyways. So, um, I don't know. I, I really wonder if, if – is, is the sun setting on Mike Gundy? Will it ever set on Mike Gundy? Does he just have a job for life now that Boone's gone? I, I will – if if I can say, if if Oklahoma
2: State doesn't – and I don't want to reintroduce this discussion. If Oklahoma State doesn't go to the SEC or the Big Ten or the – well, maybe the ACC, I could see Mike Gundy being basically tenured at this point. Because Oklahoma State is going to say, be pretty competitive. If they stay in the Big Twelve, they're going to be pretty much a lock to just nail it every year. And then anywhere else, even in the Pack, I think they'd be pretty competitive at least divisionally. So I think they'd be good in the Pack.
0: I, I think they could think win. the would. Yeah, I think they could win the Pack.
2: But I'd I- be competitive in the ACC, depending on where divisionally they went if they did. But
0: you know, that's a whole other discussion. But they, they, I mean, they would be good, like Clemson fodder. You know. The, the, the uh, team that, that shows like up a to... Of strength of schedule, basically, sacrifice. The team that shows up to uh, Charlotte every year and gets murdered. That That's what OSU would be at the ACC, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, Ty, do you have uh, OSU at five? I do not.
2: I, I hinted at inconsistency. And Oklahoma State, I know we always talk about them with, with sort of hype and inconsistency, but Oklahoma State is always sort of at least competitive against people
0: um, and, and i i hate to cut you off uh yeah i, w- I wanted to ask Jamison if he had us at five 30. i do I okay do. so well, go. <laughs> i, w- I want to hear your spicy number five at, right after Jamison talks about oklahoma state just so we could keep it cohesive uh jameson tell me about the pokes yeah, I have him at five. You know,
1: it was a struggle with me with Kansas State because I could see them dropping as well. But um, kind of the same thought for you. My big thing is, is just can we rely on Spencer Sanders? You know, he's got the talent you talk about. He is more talented than Skylar Thompson, but is he more composed than Skylar Thompson? You know, and he's not, and he's not. His offensive line to begin with last year was already tough, and they lose Tevin Jenkins, was, was a really good offensive tackle going on going out, and then he loses his safety blanket to wide receiver Tylen Wallace. And whenever he was any problem, they just threw a a moon ball to him. You know, a jackpot. And then it's either a pass interference or Tylen Wallace made something stupid. Also, Dylan Stoner has gone because Dylan Stoner was there for like nine years. So, you know, like, like, and plus Landon Wolf, you know, like they have a lot of wide receivers leaving. They're going to really rely on Brennan Presley and hopefully he becomes our next big guy. But that takes a lot into consideration. Was he just a one, a one hit wonder kind of, you know, he just shined in the bowl game and just, will he be consistent moving forward? You know, it's, it's, it's definitely concerning. You know, Spencer Sanders, if he can compose himself and just play within himself, yeah, they could be five or even four. But I, I don't know about them. Plus, on the defensive end, you know, they already struggled to begin with and they lost their center zone, Ombong Mamiga, you know. So
0: the, Oklahoma State scares me a lot. And they're the type of team that could get hot at the start and then just lay it done and just fall apart, which is, which, which is what they – tend to do at times, Uh, but we'll we'll see. I, I I don't feel any good about OSU where they are. I I wouldn't bet on them, but also I could see them just randomly being good. They're a mystery, Um, but you know what, what the biggest mystery is, Ty, who do you have at five? I I don't think it should be that much of a mystery.
2: Uh, I, I will say probably got about a minute of explanation. So boat and Blake, go ahead skip forward a minute. Let's just save everyone some suffering. My number five is TCU because TCU is inconsistent. And I will I guess I'll tie it into Oklahoma State because, spoiler alert, they're my, my four. Uh, but Oklahoma State, it seems to me, is always – can be questionable, but they never really underperform to a large extent, right? Like they'll go – they'll get a lot of hype, and then the hype will be, oh, maybe they'll beat OU in Texas and somebody else. And then they don't, and then people are like, oh, okay, that was normal. But then Oklahoma State also has years where well, they will overperform. TCU is not that. I mean, they were they were five and four last year. They probably would have been five and five had they played Texas. They were three and six the year before that, and four and five, and then they were seven and two. Like they are constantly, you know, Gary Patterson is a super smart guy, great coach. They just can't recruit for the life of them. Um and well, at, at the level that they need to to be as successful as they want to, and I just feel like TCU is a, always a super solid team, but they're an inconsistent team. And when they're inconsistent, it is never an overperformance of expectations. They, because like I touched like I touched on with Oklahoma State, they will perform differently than expectations, but generally, it's an overperformance or hey, oh yeah, we saw that coming. TCU will get this like, oh, this is TCU, they got it. And then they'll just be an atrocious team. So that's why when it came down to deciding between OSU and TCU for four and five, I went ahead and put OSU up at at four. So I guess this is my four and five. And TCU at five, just because I believe in Oklahoma State's consistency to meet expectations or exceed them more than I do TCUs.
0: Which is fair, and because I feel like we've been waiting on TCU to take that leap, uh, because Gary's kind of been down for a while. Um, he hasn't had a great season in shoot since what twenty yeah. seventeen? Oh, 17, yeah. They
2: were eleven and three.
0: Yeah, yeah, seventeen was the last time they were really like, "This is a sneaky great TCU team." And i feel like you've just kind of been waiting for it. It's it's been four years. It's time for a Gary Patterson year, where they make a run. Uh, And and I'll talk a little bit about that later when we get higher up the list and my opinions on that. Uh, I'm personally high on the frogs. If you listen to the gambling podcast, you know that. Um, But yeah, uh, I see what you mean. I see what you mean because it's TCU could lay a dud. They have been the past couple of years. Um, And at at some point, you know, it it feels like you're playing roulette and it keeps landing on black. At some point, you feel like Gary's going to get it on red, and it's going to actually hit, but...
2: Yeah, they never...
0: It the yeah, then it hits the green. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> the green is the year they they kept losing the all their is, The green is, oh, shoot, oh, OU and Texas just <laughs> <it> left. <laughs> we won oh, the Big 12, but at what cost? The, the green is, we win the Big 12, but now we're in the Mountain West again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's mean. That's mean. uh Okay, number four, uh, Ty has OSU. Yeah. I... We'll save what I have to say, Jamison. Who do you have it for?
1: Yeah, I have TCU. Um, here's my thing with TCU. I understand the. I understand they have a lot of tools to be a team that can be sneaky and be big time. But that's trusting. Will Zach Evans work out and will he get fed over and over and over? Because he should. He was the, one of the best running backs, if not the best running back, coming out of his recruiting class. And the snippets we saw of him last season showed that we should be giving. I mean, TCU should be giving them the ball way more. And Max Duggan coming off, you know, the people were scared about his heart thing. It looks like it was probably the same thing as, um, you know, a lot of people have and just don't even get diagnosed with it. So he should be fine. Um, And he's got Quentin Johnson, the wide receiver. That was a big time get and flip from Texas and recruiting. They've got tools around them. Here's the thing. If you remember watching them last season, what was the thing that killed them? It was their offensive line. Offensive line was atrocious. So, they've got a block for their guys. And offensive line is the most important position in quarterback, I mean, even more than quarterback, what I'm trying to say in college football. Um, and then another thing I want to hit on with TCU is what worries me why I wouldn't put them above like a Texas is their safeties. They just lost Traven Murray and, um, you know, Adarius Washington. And while, you know, they do really good in putting these lower end guys into big time roles in TCU in the secondary. You know, that's concerning whenever you lose two really, really good sec, um, safeties at the same time. They got Tomlinson at the cornerback position, but, you know, there, there's still a lot to see. And, you know, you got to have good safeties in this league. And we've seen it time and time again from OU. We've lost games as even though we're dominant just because our safety play wasn't that good. So it's, it's a very important position on the defense.
0: Yeah. Even when, you know, you're a team that reloads and produces great safeties. Losing the Thorpe Award winner is always, always tough. Uh, so I, I think – I, I personally think TCU will bounce back fine. But, yes, that is that is a big, big circle there. At number four, I have the University of Texas. I have TCU at three. I'm, I'm, oh, no. I'm betting – I'm putting it oh, all on red. No. I'm putting it on Gary. Take oh, a step man. back. That's not Let's a bet go.
2: on red. A bet on red is like almost 50-50. This is
0: I, – I, I'm betting like specifically on like yeah. – I'm like, I'm like what doing here. I, hey, I think TCU they're they're prime for a run. I, I I really believe in Duggan. I think he's 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 improved. I think he's going to take a step up now that he's had a full offseason to you know get ready. Um, the biggest thing, like you said, it's about you know are we gonna are we gonna feed Zach Evans, and hopefully Gary is smart enough to do it. But if not, then they'll definitely be a four or a five and, and slip. Uh, but you know if, if you look at it, you know you have ten. You know, you have 10 returning offensive starters, which is incredible, and Evans coming in. Uh, I And not only that, but they finished last year very strong. They were 5-1 and one in their last six after a really tough start, losing, um, you know, close games to uh, Iowa State and K-State, uh, who K-State at the time was actually good, so... Um, I, I don't. I believe that they're going to kind of grow off that positive momentum, do a little bit better, uh, and I, I think they have some good games out of them. Uh, I, I honestly think it's going to boil down to that last game of the season for TCU uh, at Iowa State on a Friday night, which is literally what what, what that that is how seasons die, right there. Um, so I I think that's where they're going to end up tripping up. But I think that's like this could be a ten year. Or ten win season for TCU. I'm really, yeah. really big on the frogs. Um, but let's pivot back to number four, University of Texas. I think, you know, losing Ellinger is a bummer for them. Uh, I think, <laughs> I don't know. I just no. It's, a, it's a bigger bummer
2: for OU fans because he was just Ellinger and and uh, you know he he who shall not be named. There's. They were the ultimate villains. It was just, like, so easy to root against them. And they were, like, anyone that just turned on a TV to, like, the OU Texas game. It was like, wow, like, these this pair is insufferable. I'm going to root for OU.
0: <laughs> like, how can you – it's harder to root against Sark and, you know – Casey Thompson, who is an Oklahoman kid. And, you know, I I just I just hope nobody gets into the Charles Thompson stuff. And that's that would be a pretty lowbrow. But, you know, it's they're they're a lot less hateable now. They're still Texas and are incredible, incredibly hateable. But um, I I just think there's way too much inexperience with UT right now. Uh, If you look at it, you know, they they had what, 10 starters uh, set out their bowl game. They performed well. Um, but I mean, that's, a, that's a big question mark for, uh, Sarkeesian. And I, I really think this is a situation where it's going to start bad for UT. I, I think they lose game one to, uh, Louisiana. I'm calling that right now. And I could see them losing two straight going down and, uh, to Fayetteville and losing that one. And we've seen what that can do to a team. Uh, we, we saw it with Herman twice in a row, losing to Maryland. It, it can, it can tank a season. It can tank an attitude and that type of environment can get really toxic and I think it will get toxic for Sarkeesian at Texas this year. I think they're talented enough to stay high, get around, you know, finish around four. But I, I think there's just too much, too many question marks with an experience. Uh, I think Bijan Robinson's a great talent and everything. I, I just, I don't think that's enough.
1: Yeah. No. I mean, I agree with you, you know, and there's, you know, when it comes down to experience in college football, it is huge. Um, you know, Texas is a team that they recruit really well and they get in start, start players. But how many times in this recent era have you seen these young guys make this huge impact on their season like we've seen guys from OU or other big-time programs do? It doesn't happen as much. So usually you have to wait for these guys to kind of develop a little bit, and then that's whenever they become big. You know, Joseph Asai leaving for Texas on defense hurts. You know, Overshone's going to have to show up and do well this year you know juan mitchell tran- transferring to tennessee that hurts them too they have a lot of new they have whole new coaching staff so many transfers into their system new starting quarterback you know but my one thing is why i've got texas at three and why i believe in them is just because i really think Bijan john robinson is just going to take the league by storm and like How we were really worried about Brees Hall, I think Bijan can be, like, a step up from that. Like, he is special, and he's really good. He's going to give us some fits.
0: Yeah, that, you know, small, quick, you know, type of back is remarkable. I I think Robinson's going to be very good for Texas. Um, So, Ty, you got Texas at three?
2: Yeah, so my number three, and I have a, a, a different take from you guys here, is UT. And it's because of Nick Saban and not necessarily because um, Steve Sarkeesian is a former Bama coordinator under Saban. We all know how that kind of works out, but you know, that's a great resume billet point that will get you hired, but that doesn't mean that you're going to perform. The thing when I was doing my, my research for this podcast, because I just was atrocious last podcast. So I did about a, I did my homework for this one. Um, The thing that stood out to me was that Sark was a a coordinator and an analyst at Bama, um, like 2016-17, and then he went to the Falcons for a year and then came back to Bama. And that is, from the best that I could research, fairly unique in a coordinator being in the Saban system, leaving to the NFL, but leaving – and then returning to the Saban system. The fact that Nick Saban took him back and made him um, the OC and and the QB coach for the uh, 19-20 to timeframe, I think is very impressive to me because this was not a... He wasn't coming back under Saban, who I think we can all acknowledge is is currently the greatest college football coach of our time right now. Uh, But not the fact that he... Failed as a head coach. We've talked about that. It was a lot of off-the-field stuff. Um, And went to Bama. That's fairly routine. A lot of guys have done that. But for Saban to take someone back and put them right into a big position um, after they had gone somewhere else, I think is a really good vote of confidence. I haven't really followed Sark at all. I know there's a lot of off-the-field stuff. I'm sure that I'm not above getting into that when it comes down to it. But I believe that he is – a coach that will be able to pull together the assets that he has and eke out, I don't think it's going to be strong, but I think he's going to eke out a third-place performance in the Big 12.
0: Which is is fair. I think that's very fair. Um, And it'll be interesting to see, because he he definitely has the talent, especially offensively, to get that result. They can do that. Texas has that talent. It's just a matter of, can they stop being Texas uh, in that sense? Um, all right, moving on. Number two, <laughs> I think we're pretty, pretty unanimous. Iowa State here, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yep. yeah. So, Cyclones. I think this is going to be a year where they take take a step back. But if you look at the schedule and it, and you really really dive into it, I, I don't think they're going to be a national championship tier team. I could see them losing to Iowa, like in their second game. You know, it, it's going to be a situation where. I I could see them getting out of the national championship conversation earlier. But if you, if you look at the schedule, all of their like legitimately tough games, they have to play other than OU are all at home. Oklahoma state at home, Texas home, TCU Friday night at home. Um, And that's, that's pretty good. All of the, all of the top tier, like top half big 12 teams other than OU go to Ames. And I think that's enough for them to get by. I think they have the talent to, um, you know, just just be good enough to be second. Uh, and uh, you know, Brees Hall, um, it's incredible talent. Uh, Brock Purdy is a game manager. He's decent. Uh, I think very overrated. We don't need to get into all that. Can I say are those dudes are still there. Yes,
2: <laughs> like it, it feels like Iowa State's team has been,
0: you know, like um, just the same for ten years now. They, they have. And that's the thing is they haven't gotten any better. They just are exactly who they are. And I it, think it, it's <laughs> not, it's not going to be nearly, uh, it's not going to be nearly enough to get over OU. Um, and, you know, I, I could see if things go bad, I don't think they're locked for the big 12 championship at all. Um, they're, they're going to have to fight just to get back. Uh and we'll see where they'll we'll, we'll, we'll see where they end up but I but the experience, the talent it, it's too much for me to put them anywhere below other than two.
1: Yeah, I, here's my thing with Iowa State. You, you this is why I put them in number two and I feel pretty confident about it and you already hit it. It's the home games. you know we've always talked about whenever you go certain places, whether that be the weather impacting um, but or just the environment in Iowa you know in Iowa State and Ames you know it's just a place that's spooky. Ames is too spooky, and that Friday night spook is just too much for me to think that TCU is going to even have a chance in that one. But just going back to it, you know, Charlie Collar is a guy that we need to bring up every single time in Iowa State talks because he's the guy that, you know, it makes them special whenever it makes look Brock Purdy look like a competent quarterback. Yeah, he's an average quarterback, but he makes them look good and puts him in talks that, you know, is Brock Purdy a name that all college football fans should know. And Charlie Kolar should be a guy that should be in their, you know, in their brain too, and he will be. They have got a good offensive line. They'll feed Brees Hall. They'll do what they need to do. Um, but, you know, if we could t- – I mean, if Iowa State could take back their defense from two years ago when they first started to be good and then combine it with their offense this year, then we'd have a scary team. My thing is like they have a decent defense this year. They're 12, of their top 15 tacklers returning. Um, But you know, they don't have the big name guys on defense. They're big seniors that they had two years ago that put them on the map in the
2: big 12.
0: Yeah. It, that is, that is true. That's your step back. Ty, your take on the clones.
2: Yeah. So no spoilers here. Uh Second up is uh the Iowa state cyclones. Um, I I will say I I think maybe if we still have our Iowa State listeners, they're going to be mad at Jameson for calling Brock Purdy an average quarterback. Um, So so start start. I want to go quick fire through this. I I do want to say Matt Campbell is a coward for not going to the NFL, but he's (laughs) an amazing. And the only reason that he's a coward for not going to the NFL is because he could and he could be successful there. He's been ridiculously successful at Iowa state. There's a lot of coaches that couldn't do what he did there. But if you're just sticking at the same level that you're at and not moving forward, it, it shows me that you're afraid of, of what's to come. Um, is it good podcasting that we completely say the same things every single year? Yes. You know, is it it's good? inside okay. when <laughs> Iowa State gets a different team and there's different stuff to talk about. We'll have different things to talk about, but literally for, for my entire tenure on, the schooner pod, we've had the same like quarterbacks, the same coach, the same everything for Iowa state. So like I can't help but to recycle content because they performed exactly the same. They've had the same coach. They've had the same finishes and that leads me to my final and and most controversial point. They're literally a programmed video game in PC. They are, they are, they're, they're on the hard setting They're on the hard setting. They're not easy to beat. It's not a layup. It's not something you play in the tutorial. They're like the final boss, like midway through the game. They're not the ones that you're playing in the championship in the postseason or whatever, but they're like the mid-level boss. And they're not there to succeed. They're not there to win. They're an NPC. They're there to be good enough and to give you a challenge and make you fail. And when it comes to OU, because this is an OU podcast ultimately – And when it comes to OU, the OU-Iowa State game is always OU's to lose. It is not Iowa State's to win. They're not a team that should beat OU. They will only beat OU if OU doesn't perform like they should. If OU does not play like a champion, Iowa State will win. But Iowa State's not a team that we're ever going to see in the playoffs. They're not a team that's ever going to be nationally successful. I'll go ahead and say that right now. Oh
0: yeah, I think I that's a fairly reasonable take, and that's all I have to say about Iowa State. Too, I'll, I'll say, I, I will say, I know we're reusing the take, but here's the thing: it was it was better, eloquent, or it was more eloquent this time, better presented because that's that's kind of how their style is. They they force you to make mistakes. They they're steady. They offensively don't you know try to you know, blow, they, they, they don't try to blow the doors off of you. They just try to do what they do and wait for your defense to screw up. And, you know, that, that's kind of why they are at NBC's in a way. Well, um, yeah.
2: And if, if I can say that shows how well coached they are, because anyone that's played football at any level knows, you know, I, I stopped playing in 10th grade, but I know that every, before every game, your coach is going to tell you, Hey, Go out there, do what you need to do, and execute. And any coach can say that. Most every coach does say that. Iowa State does that every single game consistently. And that speaks to how amazing Matt Campbell is as
0: a coach, no matter how cowardly he is. He's a great coach. I think think he's a coward because he's afraid to leave a place where he's a god. And, you know, I'm just saying. Is he's in the right
2: now.
0: He, he is he's a coward because he's not going to Texas or Texas A&M where they'll try to fire him every five minutes. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding, of course, but also like, you know, he will also he, fire Matt Campbell. Fire Matt Campbell. <laughs> he's he, Paul. I think he's too scared to coach in the SEC. He doesn't want to listen to. They don't get the fine bomb show up in Iowa. They're just happy with their but they're drinking quality of drinking water and their public schools. Um, okay. That's enough. Iowa state talk. I, I Iowa state f- fans. I love y'all. And uh, please come back for that game. <laughs> he does not love y'all. That is a lie. <laughs> okay. I, we're just going to, okay. I'm just opening up the mailbag right now. Just DM us or tweet us. And we're going to open up that mailbag right before the Iowa state game. And we're going to have ourselves some fun for sure. J- an Iowa state fan only mailbag. I want it. Uh <laughs> So let's finish at the top where we always finish the Oklahoma Sooners. Number one, we have run out of big 12 teams at this point. So it's literally OU at number one. Uh, so instead of asking you why you think OU will be number one or what quality, like what qual they're OU, they always do this. Let me ask you this. Is this a the year. They finally run the table in the big 12 and go undefeated. Yeah. Jameson. Yes. Yeah. I just don't, I just don't see it there. There's two. There's a question
1: with Iowa state. You know, I feel like we still have that chip on our shoulder that whenever they, they've beaten us, I just feel like we're just ready to come out big time. In that. But everyone else, I just see weaknesses in their game, and I don't see a weakness in Oklahoma really too much. Obviously, we're not perfect. We don't have these great guys at every single position. You know, probably free safety being our weakest position or left tackle. But other than that, every position I feel confident in. There's not a guy I worry about. Iowa State, you know, some of their defenders I worry about. Texas, I already talked about it. I I worry a lot about their defense and all of their new overturned people. And then in TCU, offensive line and safety. Um, you know, there's just too many question marks, and you've got to pick the reason um, with OU is just because there there isn't a question mark.
0: Yeah, that's true. Ty, uh, does OU run the table?
2: Yeah, look, before I was even a full-time – member of the schooner pod. Jameson was naming this year as, as you know, the year that things would start to come together for OU and we would perform as expected. Um, And I think that it is plausible, but Bobby, before I give you your piece, I will say the, we can't go without talking about it. We've already talked about it. This podcast, the OU to the sec thing, no matter what year it happens, there is now OU has always been the team to beat in the Big Twelve. You know when you're at the top, which we have been back to back to back to back to back to back to whatever. Um, we can only go down. You know it's easy for the guy at the bottom to to try to knock off the guy on the top because when you're at the top, you can only go down, and it's a massive win when anyone does anything against us. That level that OU has been at has meant that everyone gives us their best shot no matter what. You know, we see a like Kansas, it, we beat them every time. They've performed really well. If you look at first quarters of Kansas games for the past four or five years, they have come all out against OU They've and all the other teams. And I think that that is amplified tenfold with this conference stuff. So I think that this is the year that OU has the best chance, but it's all down to OU to execute. OU flat out has objectively the best players, the best coaching, the best absolutely everything in the Big 12, for sure. It is OU's to lose. I think OU very well could, but I would not be surprised if we did not just because of the motivation that everyone else has.
0: That is true, and I think it's going to be amplified on the road. Um, And, you know, if there was a a road game in particular that, you know, really scared me. I, I would definitely be picking it. However, just just looking at OU's road games, other than you know Tulane, which doesn't matter. Um, you got you 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 only have to you play Kansas State, Baylor on the road. They don't really have fans or care at this point. Uh You have Oklahoma State; they already hate our guts, anyways. So that's not any different from any other Bedlam year. Uh, but the real one, you have to circle and kind of be worried about is at Kansas state in Manhattan week before OU Texas. And if we hadn't lost to them the past two years, I I think in a weird way, um, this would be the one I would circle because that's going to be a crazy atmosphere. They have an excellent fan base. They have the confidence that they can beat OU. They've made OU bleed the past few years. They're going for a three-peat. Damn it. Um, But I I think OU is going to be too pissed off about the past two years, too aware of it, too focused to to drop that one. Uh, But that for me is the only one that I would circle as, you know, particularly nerve wracking in terms of a road game. Uh, And then there's Texas, which is always just a wild card. Yeah, we are better than Texas this year. But in that game, anything can happen. And especially with an offensive mind like Sarkeesian, you, you just don't know. If I can add real quick, and then I, I'm pretty much done for the podcast.
2: OU has three road games this season, the way I look at it. OU doesn't play in Norman six times during the regular season. One of those is in Dallas. That's a home game for OU. Uh, it, I mean, it's at, at worst, it's 50-50. OU is absolutely dominated there. Cotton Bowl and Jerry World are essentially home games for OU. Yeah. We're not going to touch the off season. We play in Stillwater. You don't really deal with the, you know, away game stuff, especially when that's an evening game and we're not having to really spend the night in Stillwater either. That's not necessarily an away game. And then we play twice in Kansas, and then we play in New Orleans against Tulane. So we have, really, the way I look at it, we have three road games, and all of them should be layups.
0: Yeah, and the Tulane game. You literally have a large amount of Tulane season ticket holders that are just OU fans because they bought the fifty nine dollar season ticket to get the OU game, <laughs> which is incredible. And I yeah. wish I would have. I, I wish I would have known that because I would have bought it. I just don't want to do the drive, which is fair. But yeah, that is the list, folks. Um, guys, are you feeling ready for uh, for college football now or what? Yeah
1: it's it's so close. It's legitimately so close. I'm ready.
0: Well, yeah, this is the last preview we're doing because next week we're picking actual live games, which is crazy. Week zero is next week. We're going to be doing the weekend spread. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm going to do a little bit hour. of a,
1: a depth chart too for OU, try of to course. get an idea of what's going on because I, I kind of hinted at it. You know, offensive line is probably our biggest question mark. We don't know what's going on there. We're flipping and flopping everyone, and Bill Bedenboe is just going to do that anyways. So, yeah, we'll give a projected depth chart real quick, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That that will definitely come. It might come as, like, our game preview for Tulane because we don't really have – you're not really breaking down matchups for Tulane. But, sure. um, so, yeah. I, yeah, we we will get down to that uh, because, you know, especially on the O-line, that is a big mystery. We'll see how that goes. But I, I'm excited for depth charts, excited for the season to start. And, um, guys, truly can't wait. So, um yeah. Ty, anything else you want to say before we head out?
2: Yeah. I'm so excited. Uh, for the podcast listeners, I, I don't even know if people are watching the video, but, uh, I'm literally becoming a, a cowboy hat person this season. So we're just going full insufferable. Uh, so yeah, I'm super excited for that. I don't know if anyone else is, it's terrible. It's miserable, but I'm going to become
0: a, you know, cowboy hat person for sure. I love it. I love it. Uh, and of course, before we go, I forgot about this, um, We've got to do a little Cruden corner action. Let's do a little Cruden corner action, courtesy of uh, one, uh, well, Luther Burden. David, yes. what is this, David?
2: This is a Cruden corner with Jamison.
1: Every dancing. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, 2022 wide receiver just got horrible. We had three of the best wide receivers in the country committed to us. You know, Jordan Hudson, Taylor Shetron, Luther Burden, and they slowly trickled off. And I'm I'm realizing, you know, Luther Burden, you know, is probably leaning Missouri now, you know, and Talon Shetron goes to Oklahoma State, and Jordan Hudson going to SMU. Like this is weird. We're not losing to Alabama, you know. We're not losing to Georgia, like you know we lo- we've lost in the past. These are just to come on now. Like I understand Oklahoma State offered Shetron's, you know, fraternal twin brother. And that's the only reason, you know, that he wants to play with his brother and family is big to him. Um, but this Missouri thing with Luther Burton, let's just dive into that. Here's, I've got kind of a, a theory. I was reading some people's thoughts on message boards and stuff too. And I kind of just came to this. I think he said it was a business decision in his post. This is a, the best wide receiver in the country. If for people don't know in the 20 um, in this, in this current recruiting class, um, that was an Oklahoma commit and decommitted. So it was a business decision. Him staying in his home state of Missouri, being the top guy, being the the face of that football program. How much can NIL impact there? Where they're saying if you stay in Missouri, you're going to get bags because you're going to be that dude. You're going to be the celebrity of the Missouri football program from freshman all the way to your junior year. Um, and that whenever you're a top ten guy in the country and you commit to Missouri. And he especially likes staying close to home. It's always been a thing that we worry about. I I guarantee you they've talked about how like they're gonna set him up for his NIL deals.
0: I mean, they had to, especially, you know, being being an East St. Louis kid, you know, that's um, you know, he he will have a very strong local tie. So that had to have been part of it. Um I mean, you don't really know. The SEC, we're, we're getting involved fully in the SEC bag drop. And uh, the, the the bag, you know, the the Missouri bag just outweighed our bag this time, which is really frustrating and really confuse, confusing. Um, you know, never like to lose a wide receiver to Missouri. Shout out to, uh, uh, what was it, uh, uh, Dorian Green something? Beckham, uh, Dorian Green. Dor- Dorian Green Beckham, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what am- <laughs> Hot, hot take
2: here. I am permanently banned from ever editing Wikipedia because for a year-long stretch, I constantly went to his Wikipedia page and completely deleted any mention of Missouri and only listed OU where he never played as his only university <laughs> for the NFL. And I was eventual... Well, okay. I was eventually <laughs> permanently banned. I had a bunch of strikes from that, and then the Boko Boko Haram thing <laughs> the broke the camel's back. So because of the schooner pod, I can never be a Wikipedia contributor <laughs> ever again.
0: Oh, that's too funny. Yeah. Uh, oh I, I just,
1: it, the thing is, like, we've got bigger bags than Missouri, obviously, but... They throw all of their bag on him because that's all they're getting. They're saying, if we got this guy, we're throwing everything we got at him. And, you know, with him wanting to stay at close to home, it's just tough. So now wide receiver, I wish I could tell you names. You know, Evan Stewart is a guy that a lot of, you know, it's another five-star guy that um, wanted to commit to us whenever we had a full wide receiver room and we pushed him away. Um, because we just didn't have room for him, and now he's not even considering us. Is a pipe dream, but he's still like, yeah, he's, I don't think he's considering us. So it's just gonna be tough. We're just gonna have to take some like lower end, uh, not as high end, four star, five star guys, and just make it through this year. And then if not, you know, we've seen it with Mike Woods from Arkansas. We can go and grab transfer wide receivers as much as we want. And Mike Woods is is showing out in training camp. He's being big time, you know, like. He's doing much better than they thought he would. You know, we can go grab whoever we need to on the transfer portal market, and the way the transfer portal is, we can kind of probably pry some people away from their teams who are on mid-level teams and want to come compete too. So I'm not worried. The 2023 wide receiver thing I want to hit on just as an optimistic point to end this, and there's a lot more recruiting, but this is the big thing. You know, coming up here in the next couple of days, the number one wide receiver in country out of 2023, Brandon Ennis. Is going to commit to us essentially, and he's going to be joining, you know, Malachi Nelson, the best quarterback other than, you know, Arch Manning, some people think, and then you know, Trayon Webb, you know, a high-end four-star, five-star running back, and you know, a Malachi Lemon, who's um Makai um, Lemon, I'm sorry, Makai Lemon, Makai Lemon, and, and, <laughs> yes, he's five five-star wide receiver too, and we lead for two more five-star wide receivers in that 2023 class. One guy's from Texas, and the other guy just transferred to go play with Malachi Nelson and Makai Lemon
0: at the same high school. So we are set. We just need to wait. Well, and not only that, but OU has clearly had success, you know, sniping a couple guys from the JUCO ranks. Uh, D.D. Westbrook, Marquise Hollywood-Brown, you know. Um, you know, Those are two names recently that have been, Baker Mayfield. Well, uh, yeah, if he only played receiver. Well, he did that one time. In
2: no, baseball. no, he played
0: for that, so he's Chuko. Oh uh, yeah, I was where we were going there. It's in Lubbock. It's Juco. Um but but yeah, no, um, I, I don't know it, that that could be an option. Oh, you goes to either way. They're stacked now, uh, and of course, you want to just you want to do as as great as you can for each class. But um, you know that, that's the thing is lose a couple. There's always something good on the horizon for you in recruiting, so uh, it's nothing to panic over. I would say. Yeah. If we're not enamored
1: with the oh, i just one thing I was thinking about this. We're not enamored with a Juco guy. We're not going to go after him because the transfer portal is that fluid right now. Yeah, I, I really think that there's so many guys across the country that are big time, say like of a big time, you know, say for example, if Rashad Bateman, you know, last year didn't want to play, you know, on a mediocre team anymore. I'm sure we could have pried him from the transfer portal and he could have played one year in Oklahoma. You know, players like that are not on big time programs um, you know, like Ohio State in the Big Ten rather want to come play at the number one team in the Big 12.
0: Yeah. Well, awesome. Jameson, thank you for the Cruden Corner update. I appreciate it, as always. So. All right, folks, that is it for our Big 12 preview we are so thankful that you joined us for the podcast and um we're about to be launching quite the season coverage so i, I personally can't wait uh, we got a lot of really really exciting stuff coming your way and i actually mean that not in the sense where it's like we might do like a like a fun graphic or something we will do a graphic but we're doing cool <laughs> we have cool stuff coming we're, we 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 have cool stuff coming trust me so i'm excited um But yeah, for me, Jameson and Ty, this has been the Schooner Pod Big 12 Preview. We'll catch you next week for our Week 0 Preview and our first edition of the weekend spread. I can't wait. Let's talk some actual football, folks. So, yeah, have a good one. Boomer Sooner.